Well, good morning. As, as Pastor Casey said, my name is John Wyman, and uh, I'm the pastor uh, and planter of a new church here in Leavenworth in the north, northern part of the city called First City Fellowship. And um, uh, I've known Pastor Casey probably about five or six years now. Always been a great friend, always been a great encourager probably for the last uh, eight or nine months. If you've never heard the term sending church before, um, surprise, that's what you are. Uh, because Caster Casey has just been a tremendous resource. That's actually a, a, a position uh, as a sending church. It provides tremendous encouragement and support to us. Uh, we are a small but growing uh, group in a launch team. We meet uh, on Sunday afternoons right now, building towards a September launch. Um, and, and Pastor Casey and I have talked about this a lot. Um, if, if, if serving on a, a new start, a new church, uh, in this case in the northern part of the city, city think Spruce and North, uh, is something that you feel God's placing on your heart. Uh, if you feel called to that, uh, I would love to have that conversation. Like I said, Pastor Casey, I love his, uh, his kingdom vision, uh, that, that he has been very supportive of people going with us for a season or permanently. Uh, if you would like, I'd love to talk to you if this is something you feel called to, either afterwards in the back or you can reach out to us on our website, uh, which is www.firstcity.life, uh, all one word, First City. Uh, or on our, on our Facebook page. I would just love to have that conversation with you. Uh, and I would just like to thank you personally for our, on, on behalf of our, our, our launch team and, and for me personally, just for the encouragement and support that, that we've received. It has been an enormous blessing as we continue to grow. So as Pastor Casey mentioned, uh, we're in the second week of our series that uh, God's mission has a church. And I, I really agree with Pastor Casey just said a moment ago in his pastoral moment uh, about, you know, going to scripture and letting that guide us. So my prayer, as I've been preparing this week and praying this week, is as we continue to study God's word, not just on August 2nd, definitely on August 2nd, but, but throughout our days and throughout our weeks, that as we study scripture and we spend time in prayer, that God would provide each one of us with a clarity and with a peace in that clarity as we make decisions every day as we go through our life. Now, again, last week, Pastor Casey introduced our series in God's mission, which is to store, restore his image in humanity and restore people to his family. What we're going to do this week is we're going to continue to study what God's Bible teaches us about God's mission having a church as we turn to Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. And, and to start that, I want to start with an understanding of what we mean when we talk about the church, because we, we use that term a lot. But if we're not careful... We could miss out on what God is doing through his church if we misunderstand what his church actually is. So we're going to talk about that for a minute, and, and we'll start with what everyone loves is a lesson in Greek, okay? So I don't speak Greek. Uh, I'll throw one out here just to impress everyone. But if you look in the New Testament, the term most common used for the church is the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia refers to an assembly, to a gathering, to a meeting, to a congregation. We're talking about people. That, that's, the word, that's what the word ecclesia talks about. Every time the Bible talks about the church, it's talking about the people. The Bible never talks about the church as a building. Now, we're blessed with physical structures. We can come in and worship, and then we can do the work of ministry, and we can worship together. But in the Bible, the church is always the people. So that's our starting point. That's a foundational truth that we're going to start by looking at this morning, that God's church is the community of believers. 
It's the assembly of believers. And it's interesting, the Bible shows us there's several expressions. This community of believers can take on several expressions. And we're going to look at four specific passages of Scripture this morning to understand that better. And the first one we're going to look at is out of uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16.9. And here's what Paul writes. He says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So what we see here is an assembly in a region, Asia, and then in a local body. In this case, what we might call today a house church. If we continue to look at scripture, we can see Paul's letter to the church in the city of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.1. He starts the letter off right off the bat. He, he's introducing himself and his other writings. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. So now we see the assembly, the gathering in a city. We continue to look at Acts, which studies the early church records the acts of the early church. In Acts 9, 31, Luke uh, records, so the church in all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So now we see the gathering in a region. And, and the final passage I want to take a look at this morning is, is from Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. And it's interesting, this, this passage is really Paul. Uh, talking to husbands about the unique role and the specific role that God has provided to husbands in a marriage. But I want you to hear what Paul says here. Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now we see what, what, what this term, which is commonly called the universal church, or the church universal. It's, it's all people. And if you've never heard of a, a, a gentleman named Wayne Grudem, he's a tremendous the theologian, uh, wrote some really great books on better understanding God's work and the theology of God. He had a great definition that really kind of wrapped this all together. He says, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. So just as we see the Bible explain or define the church in the first century as the believers in a local body, in a city, in a region for all time, that same truth applies to us today. The church is us. It's, it's the people gathered together under Christ. It's local churches like Westside, where although there's three services, it's one local body. It's, it's the church in Leavenworth. If, you were, if you've been here for a few months, you may remember that Pastor Casey and two other uh, pastors shared the pulpit. Westside Family Church and Sunflower Missionary Baptist Church and Wallula Christian Church, working together, united as one. Talked a moment about sponsoring and sending a church plan into the northern part of the city. This is the church in a city. It's a church in the Kansas City area. Actually, my wife and I, Pastor Casey and his wife, got a chance to, to meet up with, I don't know, 10 or 15 other local church planners. We went to the Monarchs game on Friday night. Just, just a, a group of pastors together in a city, all focused on Christ Universal Church. Now, the reason this is a big deal, like we said, we, we don't want to miss out on what God's doing through his church because we misunderstand what the church is. If we're not careful, we could think small, you know, just seeing the local church or just seeing the building. We want to think, we want to think big. When we think of the church, we want to think Jesus because Jesus is so much bigger and so much more than we can understand or we can see. And when we think Jesus, when we look to Jesus, when we turn to Jesus, then we start to see what Pastor Casey showed us last week from Scripture. 
how the Bible shows us God's mission is to restore his image in everyone who placed their faith and trust in what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. Now, if, if that's a concept you haven't heard before, maybe that's, that's something you've heard but you, you didn't quite understand or never really embraced, it, it's important for us to spend a moment talking about this. You heard the term the gospel. Well, this is what it means. We can look all the way back to the, to the, to the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, where, Jesus, where, excuse me, where God said, let us create man in our own image. And God did. And things were great until Genesis 3. Okay, and what happened in Genesis 3 is started with Adam and Eve, but if we're going to be honest, it's continued with every single one of us. Is we made a, each one of us made a decision to deliberately disobey God, to rebel against God, to go against God. Now, the problem with that is because God is perfect, he, he doesn't sin, he can't sin, he can't tolerate sin, he can't be around sin, that rebellion that each one of us has taken part in separated us from God, created a gap. And the truth is there's nothing any one of us can do ourselves to fix that. Now, if, if that was the end of the story, there would be no good news in that at all. But fortunately, God had a better plan. And that was for Jesus to come down out of a, bro a perfect heaven into this broken and fallen world to live a sinless, perfect life, never sinned one time. And the significance of that is then he went and he gave himself up on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for each one of us, taking on both the punishment and the consequence for our sin, past, present, and future, sins we haven't even committed yet. So that when we, And then he rose three days later to prove that he had power over both sin and death. So that when we place our faith in what he accomplished through his death and resurrection, then that gap we talked about that we couldn't close ourselves is immediately closed. And that's the good news. That's the good news. And if you've never, you've never embraced that before, you've never said, yes, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior I'm, in my life, I'm begging you not to leave here today until we have that conversation. Talk to me, talk to Pastor Casey, talk to somebody. It's the most consequential decision, the most consequential discussion you'll ever have. Because that's God's plan. That's his will. That's his desire to bring everyone back into right relationship with him, to restore his image in us. But none of this happens without Jesus. And it's that understanding that none of this happens without Jesus that's our teaching big idea for this morning. Our teaching big idea is that Jesus perfectly aligns his church to himself, providing the foundation and the strength to carry out God's mission. So we're going to look at several truths to better understand this big idea today. And one truth we want to study together this morning is that Jesus is the cornerstone of his church. Now, there are a lot of beliefs in the world about who Jesus is. Some people think Jesus was a really great person, he was a great teacher, he was a prophet. Some people might tell you he was a myth. But if we really want to know the truth about Jesus, if we want to separate the fact from the fiction, we need to go to the source. We need to go to God's revelation of himself in his Bible. And when we do that, we see that the Bible is very clear about who Jesus is. And we're start by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. And what Paul writes in there, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And in this 
area, this area of the, the letter, he's specifically addressing division and disunity, kind of like Pastor Casey just talked about a moment ago. There is division and disunity in this church in Corinth, specifically about people following different leaders. Matter of fact, what Paul writes is, you know, some people say I follow a man named Apollos. Some people say I follow a man named Peter. Some people say I follow, I follow Paul. And Paul says, no, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. The one leader that we follow in the church is Jesus. So Paul uses this word picture of Jesus as a foundation of a building, with Jesus being what holds up the church and everything is built upon him. But Scripture tells us that Jesus is much more than just a foundation. He is a foundation, but he's also what's called a cornerstone. And the first time we see this in Scripture is in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. Let's read that together. What the psalmist writes is, The stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, you notice I said the first time we see it is in Psalm 118. That's because Jesus, Peter, and Paul all quoted this passage later in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus quoting this passage as he rebukes and corrects the religious leaders of the first century for their blindness and for their refusal to see who Jesus is, Lord and Savior. In, in Acts 4, which, which again, um, it records the early days of the church, Peter and John were brought before the religious leaders because they were teaching about Jesus. And in Acts 4.11 records Peter quoting this passage again while he's boldly testifying to the religious leaders that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and he's going to keep teaching that way. Paul uses this passage in Ephesians 2.20, and we're going to study that in some more detail in a moment, as he explains the central, pivotal, unique role that only Jesus has in his church. And then Peter quotes this passage in 1 Peter 2.7 while he's encouraging early Christians as they're going through persecution and hard times in the early church. So scripture's clear that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. We see seven different biblical writers all record this truth, three of whom record Jesus himself speaking it. But the question becomes, okay, got it. Scripture records Jesus is the cornerstone. But, but what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the cornerstone? So let's kind of look for a moment at what a cornerstone in building construction is. Because, because when you start talking about stone and masonry building, which was a very common construction technique at the time that these, these passes were, were, were written, the cornerstone would be the first stone that was set as you started to build a building. It, if it wasn't the biggest stone, it was one of the biggest. It was one of the strongest, and it was specially prepared took more time to prepare it just to give it, make sure it had extra strength. And all the other stones in the building would align themselves to the cornerstone. That, that was the role of the cornerstone. As, and so as the cornerstone of his church, Jesus accomplishes two absolutely necessary functions for the church in the exact same way that a physical stone functions for a building. And that first function is Jesus provides proper alignment for his church to serve on God's mission. If you think about it for a second, the term cornerstone really gives us a really good word picture as we visualize the alignment of walls back to the cornerstone. And, 
And when we think of Jesus providing proper alignment, there's, there's two important aspects of that alignment we want to understand. The first is that we maintain a proper relationship with God. That's the first aspect. The second is we maintain a proper relative position in relation to God. Now, those may seem very similar, but they're actually different. So we're going we're to talk about those for a second. We need them both. So let's talk first about maintaining a proper relationship with God. What we talk about there is we allow him to make changes in us that we can't make ourselves. The, the term the Bible would use would be the word transform. See, when you're transformed, you go through a transformation. It's not that you alter your appearance. It's not that you change the way you talk. Those can be outputs from a transformation. But that's not what transformation is. Tr being transformed is a basic change in your nature that starts on the inside and then comes out. That, that's the change that Jesus makes in us. And we'll look at Ephesians 2.19 to understand that well. So here's what Paul writes. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Folks, when we're aligned to Jesus, when we've named him as both Lord and Savior of our lives, he changes us from this concept of being strangers and aliens to being citizens. Let's think about these words for a moment. And when we say the word stranger, what are the, what are the words or the thoughts that pop into your head? Maybe an outsider. Someone who's not a friend, maybe not even an acquaintance, to the point where you might say, I don't know you, who are you? And then we think about aliens, we can take, that actually goes a step farther. Aliens talk about, you're being, you're being changed, you're different at the very nature of who you are, oftentimes opposed in nature. On the other hand, when we talk about being a citizen, we talk now about enjoying the privileges of membership. We talk about being entitled to certain protections and certain rights that we didn't have before. So when we understand that the alignment to Jesus in that way, we can see a very clear contrast between being aligned to him as opposed to being aligned to someone or something else. The second aspect we want to talk about is maintaining a proper relative position in relation to God. And I'm going to use a word that a lot of us don't like. This requires submission. I'm going to use another word that a lot of us don't like. This requires surrender. We don't like submission, and we don't like surrender. But we have to understand that Jesus is not just Savior. He absolutely is. He is the one and only Savior. But he's also Lord. And if we're going to say that more clearly, here's, here's, this, here's the clearest way we can say it. He's God, and I'm not. That's what it means. That's relative position. And, and let's look at what, what Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. See, what Paul, Solomon is describing here is letting God lead while we follow. Trusting him while we follow and trusting that his understanding, his path, his way is better than ours. Let's go back to that word picture of a physical cornerstone for a second. Okay, so we talked about the fact that the cornerstone is the first stone set. It's most likely the biggest most and the, most, the heaviest. Well, you would not set a cornerstone and then go back and try and move it or reorient it just because one of the walls went off in a crazy direction. 
Like, you'd never do that. What you'd do is you'd swing the wall back towards the cornerstone. And a great quote, I think, helps, on, helps highlight this a little more. A uh, pastor and, a, and an author here in the States in the, uh, like, mid-1900, a guy named A.W. Tozer, had a great quote in a book he wrote. And here is what he said. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. See, when we're individually and collectively aligned that way to Jesus, and because we're aligned to him, now we're aligned to each other, then we're positioned to best serve on God's mission as he restores his image of humanity, his image in humanity through Jesus' perfect work and sacrificial death. And he does this continually. Let's be honest again. We're human. We generally don't need just one alignment. Okay? If you've, if, if you, if you've ever been to the chiropractor, you know somebody who, who has been to the chiropractor. Very rarely do you go, it's one time and you're good. You go back and you get realigned. And maybe you go back later and you get realigned. And it's, this, it's the same concept. You keep going back to alignment. And it's this, it, 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 when we want to stay in alignment with Jesus or we want to grow better aligned, the best way to do that is to stay in community with other believers and to study God's word. Again, God's Bible is a revelation of himself to man. If we want to know how God wants us to align ourselves with him, it tells us where it is right there. And the more consistently we stay connected to a community of Christians, a community of believers, the more encouragement, the more accountability, the more growth we receive and experience to help keep us aligned. Which, now, which leads to our second absolutely necessary function that Jesus accomplishes for his church. And that's that Jesus provides the strength for his church to serve on God's mission. When we think of strength, let's, let's think of some words that pop in our head. Durable, reliable, steady, enduring, lasting, resilient, resistant to attacks. You know, a moment ago we saw how Ephesians 2.19 explained the benefits of alignment with Jesus. If we continue in that passage and we start to look at Ephesians 2.20 and 2.21, we see how that alignment helps lead to strength in and through Jesus. So let's pick up there. Again, uh, verse 19 ended with that we're in the household of, 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 of God. In verse 20, we say, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So where verse 19 explained how alignment puts us in proper relationship and proper relative position to God, what follows in verses 20 and 21 is the strength that comes from each Christian aligning themselves and submitting themselves to Jesus as the cornerstone. And the result of that alignment is a structure, Christ's church. Again, not the building, the people, where the members don't just lay on top of each other or kind of flop next to each other, but they're joined together. Matter of fact, go ahead and underline those two words in your notes, if you would, please. Joined together. And while you do that, I want to give you another visual. Think of a basket. A basket that's woven together from individual pieces into a single strong structure that now has purpose and function. 
That's the exact same analogy we're talking about. In the same way, think of members of Christ's church joined together being in Jesus and being with Jesus. And because the strength comes from Jesus, there's nothing stronger, there's nothing more reliable, there's nothing more resilient, there's nothing that lasts longer in the entire universe. There never has been, and there never will be. So the question becomes, what do we do with this strength? I mean, we, we have access to it. Jesus provides it for us. We've just seen that. But we know that because it's provided based on submission and following, that it's not like for ourselves, for our own purposes, for our own preferences, for our own desires. So the question becomes, what do we, what do, we do with that? I think looking at the way Paul ends Ephesians 2.21 can help us answer this question. Because the way Paul closes out this verse is, is, is really significant. Okay? All this alignment, all this structure, all this strength. Listen to Paul, how Paul ends verse 21. He says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. C- circle those words. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. If you would, please. Because when you study the temple in the Bible, look in the Old Testament. The temple was where people went to meet God. And and we saw just a moment ago that Christ's church, the people, is the structure. So follow what Paul is teaching here. Just as people in the Old Testament went to the temple to meet with God, now for us, people who are far from God, they meet God in the people who make up his church. And and it's not just on Sunday mornings at 8.15 or 9.30 or 11 or wherever you gather. That's not the point. It's every day as we live out a life that is obedient to God and points to him. Because none of this, the alignment or the strength, comes separate or apart from God. It all comes when we're in his will, when we're following him alone as Lord. So to the question, what do we do with this strength we have access to? the answer becomes fairly clear and fairly simple when we understand what Scripture's telling us. We use it to serve on God's mission, now listen to this, by being who and where people can meet and experience God and His grace. That's how we use it. See, if you're a Christian, wherever you are, by yourself or with another group of Christians in an entire body, that's where people can meet and experience God and His goodness and His greatness. But there's another real encouragement in this strength that Jesus provides as well. Because even when we've aligned ourselves to Jesus, sin still exists in the world. It's all around us. We experience it every day. And even when we've named Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, life gets hard. As a matter of fact, life gets really hard sometimes. And it's that strength that we've just been talking about that Jesus provides that gets us through those hard times, even if they end really badly for us or for somebody we love. It doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't take away the consequence. It doesn't take away the tragedy. But it does give us the endurance to keep going. And I want to I look at one, piece of script, one more piece of Scripture from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, I think helps us a lot with this. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. 
I, I'm going to read the, um, the scripture, and we're going to kind of go back and unpack it a little bit. Here's what Paul says. He says, but he said, he being God, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul continues. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, context of this passage. The verses immediately before this, Paul talks about what he calls a thorn in his flesh. He has a thorn, he's had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is. The scripture doesn't say. But it does say, Paul does say, he asked God three times to remove it from him. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay? Serving on God's mission in a world full of sin is not easy. It is not a life of ease. It does not take all the thorns out of our flesh. It's hard. To be quite honest, it's impossible by ourselves and whatever strength we might have. But when we rely on the power and the strength of Jesus, then, even in our weakness, we're still strong. We can endure, just like Paul described in 2 Corinthians 12. So as we close today, I want to I give you two questions that I'm going to ask you to consider. The first question is, am I aligning myself with Jesus in all areas of my life? Or am I holding back a particular area of my life or a particular sin? Do I find myself asking God to just bless the plans I have rather than just asking for his plans? You know, the second question I asked, excuse me, where I said, am I holding back uh, an area of life or a particular sin. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to, to lead a ministry here in the city that was focused towards parolees, primarily violent offenders and sexual offenders. And as, as you continue to minister with guys, and, and guys got more comfortable and would talk more about how they got where they are, they, they painted a consistent word picture. They would talk about the sin that led them to incarceration. And they would talk about it in this way. They would say, my life was great. I, I was going to church. I was, I was doing all the right things, except this is exact, the exact picture they wrote, they gave. I had this one ho- room in my house. It wasn't a physical room. It was a part of their life. I had this one room in the house that I didn't let God into. And the result of that was it consumed them. It led to unspeakable tragedy for others. And it led on to unspeakable tragedy for them. So, so I just ask you to consider the question, am I aligning myself to Jesus in all areas of my life? The second question I'd like to leave with you today is, am I relying on God's strength? Or am I relying on my own strength? Is pride working its way into my life and into my decisions? Am I minimizing what God can do through me or through us because I'm trying to do too many things myself, my way. I want to encourage you to pray regularly through these two questions as you spend quiet, dedicated, personal time with God throughout your week. But I'd also like to give you a moment right now, right here, to simply sit where you are quietly and ask God to reveal to you if either of these two questions are areas where you need to turn to Jesus 
and turn something over to Jesus so he can make a change in you from the inside out. So I'm just going to invite you to just sit there and just, just ask God, reveal to you, reveal to me, do I need to work on one of these questions? Father, for those that are uh, right now listening to your Holy Spirit and there may be a tension, may they pay attention to that. Maybe your Holy Spirit's nudging them that there's a room that they need to submit and surrender to you right now. Um, and they're just asking, and may they just right now surrender that. For those that are here and, and they suffer from, they're just in a broken season right now. And this is, it's a painful season. It's a difficult season. It's a hard season. It's full of hardship. It's full of weakness, whatever the case may be. And, and they need your grace to be a strength. May they realize that everything they need for right now is found in Jesus. Because his grace is sufficient. So, Father, may they surrender that to you, not searching for strength in any other relationship or any other, uh, any other way, but may they just say, Jesus, you're my strength, and accept that. And may your strength for them, your grace for them, be the sufficiency they need in that moment right now. And may there be Christ followers around us to, to encourage us to follow you. Because... You are aligning us to you. And you are the foundation, the strength to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Westside, I want to thank you. And hey, can you thank John?